Jam Journals is a proud partner of Yesterday's Concert Podcast and member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Screaming from the depths of my belly, I let out a primal howl at the full moon. My skin was irritated from the abuse of the sun and my body was weak from the lack of nourishment. Even if I wanted to seek restoration, there was no way out. First ones in and doomed to be the last ones out. We were rock and roll marines. Putting my back into the rail, I turned around to survey the scene behind me. A wall of people blockaded me. This should have been a living hell. Instead, it was one of the best days of my life. As far as the eye could see were smiling faces. There'd be no leaving at this point. Even if there was a tiny part of me that wanted out, I'd have to wait another 90 minutes. But at this point, what was another 90 minutes? For more than 10 hours, we'd been in this spot. We'd seen the masses grow behind us little by little. With each artist that took the stage, a little surge of warm bodies crowded us further. Before the gates opened at noon, we were in line. And once we were scanned through, we hadn't left the spot. We had a higher calling. We hadn't eaten since breakfast and we hadn't peed since late afternoon. Despite meeting some fellow rail riding cuties, we weren't holding down these spots through the sun, exhaustion, and dehydration for a couple of cuties. No, we were doing it for the music. It was a top tier hippie jam band bill. From Act 1 to the headliner, there were no bumps in our road. This is what we were built for. No matter the detrimental cost to our bodies, we were just a couple of young, dumb kids fueled by rock and roll. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and angel talkers. My name is Lance Ingram, and this episode of Jam Journal, we open the pages to May 4th, 2008. Grab your earplugs as we go to the Bill Street Music Festival in Memphis, Tennessee for the Black Crows. I watched Chris Robinson strut the stage. He danced barefoot along the rugs the crew had laid out for him a few minutes earlier. The summer heat was squashing our vibe, despite the sun dangling behind the horizon like a toddler fighting sleep. Sweat beaded on the band's foreheads and would drip with every nonverbal cue and groove. Chris's brother Rich stood stoically in the corner playing his guitar. He dared not smile or show an ounce of enjoyment. The rumors of brother infighting ran through my mind. Were they going to have a classic Brothers Duke out right here on the stage? In reality, Rich was probably just being rich. Deep in the throes of rock and roll chaos, we stuck with the crowd. Bonded together, shoulder to shoulder. There wasn't much room to breathe. Sarah, my poor girlfriend, and all of her 5'3 bite-sized height was completely shut out. There wasn't anything we could do for her this close. Hey, why don't we go sit on that hill so you can see? I shouted over the music. It'd be fine if this tall guy would move, she replied. There was no point standing this close if she couldn't see the stage. Besides, reality was, we weren't feeling it. The show was mediocre at best. If I was going to sacrifice my body to the rock guys, I'd like for the performance to be a little more engaging. Aside from Chris, none of the band showed any charisma. The songs weren't bad, they just weren't translating with the audience. Sarah and I finally ditched the crowd and plopped down on the grass hill behind the back of the venue. The downtown Jackson, Mississippi Street Festival, Jubilee Jam, had a decent turnout for the Crows. Our town's classic rock station did a decent job of keeping the band's music in rotation. 
It had all the usual unexpected suspects. Hard to handle, she talks to angels, and twice as hard. But after the show, I couldn't pinpoint the mediocrity. There was an ingredient in their sound that was off. If their goal was to exist as a legacy act, they were on the right path. They were playing themselves straight into the casino circuit, dooming their future to tired sounds of jackpots they wouldn't win. However, I saw a band that still had enough juice to do something interesting, but they lacked the new gear. In my biased opinion, that piece came along shortly thereafter. His name is Luther Dickinson, a hometown boy and guitarist from North Mississippi. Now I want to be very clear, I'm a Luther fanboy. The North Mississippi All-Stars were quickly becoming one of my favorite bands. And living in Mississippi, they were frequenting the scene with live shows. Some of my favorite memories from the time in Jackson metro area were All-Star shows that raged in sweaty clubs until the early hours. But what Luther did for the band was add a stomp of southern grit and war paint was hatched. Whether it was his contributions or not, the band returned to a style and sound that better fit them. It wasn't the meandering legacy rock they'd been toying with for more than a decade. I know not everyone loves that album, but for me, it was the album that shifted the tide. It hit all the buttons that failed in their Jackson show. Their tired performance was exchanged for a band that had a shotgun blast of cocaine fired into their creativity. For months, I returned to that album excited about the band's future. The reunion finally felt validated and worth more than a casino circuit. So when they were announced to perform at the Bill Street Music Festival in 2008, I knew I'd be there, front and center. Today was the big day. It was Sunday, the Lord's Day, never miss a Sunday show, the third day of the Bill Street Music Festival. Friday had been a wash, literally. Multiple performances were canceled after a thunderstorm wrecked the grounds. Saturday rebounded with Guitar Royalty and Buddy Guy and Santana, plus some early favorites like The Wigs, Backdoor Slam, and John Butler Trio. But Sunday was our big day. Not only was it, in our opinion, the strongest day, but it was also the day our stars aligned. Every artist we wanted to see was on the same stage. From the moment the gates opened till they closed that night, everything was right on one central location. Dude, you know what we should do? My friend Joel asked. Lay it on me, man, I replied. We should get to the festival before the gates open and run to the Black Crow stage so we can get front row. We're gonna be at the stage all day, so why not just hold down on the rail? Joel, you beautiful genius, you. So we did exactly that. We lined up about an hour before the gates opened around noon, and when the gates did open, chaos and pandemonium. The mad dash rudd to the stages. People were trampled, gore and guts spilled onto the streets. Patrons screamed for mercy as the ravaging fans took over the entrance to find their golden spot. Except none of that happened. The gates opened in quiet fashion. People were courteous. Oh my dear boy, I do apologize. I believe I've accidentally bumped you in line. Forgive me, please. Instead of a mad dash to the stage, the few dozen people who waited at the gate all entered peacefully. Most didn't even run to a stage, but we took no chances. Joel saw a center spot, and we made our run. But there was something about the spot that we hadn't expected. There were two other people who were already waiting there and holding down the rail. Two cuties. With their backs to the rail, they sat basking in the summer sun. Joel and I were instantly smitten. Hey, who are y'all trying to see today? I asked as we sat down next to them. We're actually here for everybody on the stage. We're staying all the way through the Black Crows, one of them replied. It was completely reactionary. I don't even remember doing it, but Joel tells me I dropped to one knee and proposed right on the spot. I was completely blackout in love. I had to have her in my life. Okay, so that didn't happen either. But Joel and I saw our opportunity to get to know these two cuties. We'd learned their names were Caitlin and Heather. Caitlin was a hippie chick with a nose ring. 
She was the same height as Joel and had long, wavy brown hair. Joel fell for her. Heather was a short, petite girl in a sundress with a cute smile. I fell for her. Dude, I'm all about Heather, I told Joel. Dude, I'm all about Caitlin, he replied. Then it was set. There'd be no stepping on his toes or one-upmanship. Today was shaping up to be the perfect day. The day's first act was Pete Francis, the former singer of Dispatch. It was a singer-songwriter kind of show, a chill start to the day. He was the only act we walked in unfamiliar with, but we walked away fans. I even bought his newest solo album when I got home. The second act was Michael Franti and Spearhead. In retrospect, this is one of those artists you can't understand how you ever tolerate it. I got nothing against the guy, but the only rationale I can propose was that it was peak jam band stoner phase for me, and he fully lived up to the hype. The third act was Umphreys McGee. Like I said, peak jam band phase. It was my first time seeing the group. They were standouts of the jam band scene at the time, and I was fully into their proggy jam metal fusion. This one gave me a nice dose of jam band cred. The fourth act was OAR, the final act before the Crows. <sighs> Sadly, OAR was a band that I really enjoyed at the time. They were a pure frat boy jam band imitation Dave Matthews band. They were the great value brand of every jam band to come out of the 90s. And the crowd reflected it. What had been a day of dirty heads smoking J's and vibing to the music turned into a surge of Kappa Alpha and Delta Gamma. We were crushed against the barrier and soaked from spill of beer. But the most disappointing part was, the band absolutely sucked. And this was at a time when I couldn't even fathom a bad performance. It was one of the stalest, blandest shows I've ever seen. Where I jammed a crazy game of poker heading into that weekend, I refused to ever listen to them again after that. It was so bad that it literally ruined their music to me. And honestly, thank God, it was a Sunday miracle. During OAR, Joel and I did our best to give Heather and Caitlin some safe space. It wasn't even the gentlemanly thing to do. It was absolute chaos in the pit. Bodies were squeezed in and kept pouring. People pushed to the front with zero regard. We'd gotten to know the girls pretty good by this time. we danced, grooved, and between sets we'd laugh and joke. I didn't know what to expect, but I'm pretty sure I was in love. However, I was worried my love would come to an end during OAR. That set pushed us to our limits. The claustrophobia began to grab me. I feared what the headliner would be like if this was the subheader. Dude, I'm not sure I can do any more of this, I told Joel. Hang tight, man. Maybe it'll get better. Let's ride it a little longer. If there's anything to be learned, Joel knows best. Like clockwork, as the final notes of OAR hit the speakers, the frat boys dispersed and the vibe returned, along with the bliss of our time with Heather and Caitlin. By this point, it's 8 or 9 o'clock at night. We've been out there since around 11 a.m. So if you're wondering how we made it this far, I'll share a few secrets. We had purposely dehydrated ourselves. I'm not advocating for that, but it's what we did with some fair success. There's talk of wearing adult diapers and all sorts of devices so that you can piss yourself, but we didn't go that route, because you. Instead, Joel and I each brought in one bottle of water. We'd take a swig anytime our thirst was too great to handle, but not too much, just enough to avoid passing out. Our thought process was simple. You won't have to pee if you don't drink any water. Brilliant, right? Clearly our teenage brains were scientifically advanced. A bridge over the Mississippi River was our only source of illumination. Shifting figures moved into place. The small stage had no frills. The lighting rig was something that could have been borrowed from a county fair. The backdrop was just a transparent net. The jangly guitar riff shook the speakers. A brief measure and the drums crashed in to join the riff. The minimalistic lighting rig flashed the crowd like an alien abduction. 
Right before me, less than 15 away, was Rich Robinson, stoic as always. He strummed and jammed his guitar, not offering the slightest glimpse of enjoyment. He watched the drummer, Steve Gorman, for cues. Then there was Chris Robinson. He came out bouncing, the western white Jesus with his long brown hair and beard. On bare feet, he giddied up to the microphone and held his elbows to his chest as he danced to the song. Off the tracks, lost the rail, trying to squeeze a little blood out of a rusty nail when you're thirsty. The crowd on the rail gripped for dear life and raged as if we were spurring a prison break. Waves of energy surged behind me. There's no more crowd crashing from the frat boy parade. Clouds of good vibes passed overhead like a conveyor belt. I couldn't tell if there was a hundred people or a million people behind me. The opening track from their most recent album, War Paint, wasn't the start I expected it, but I supported it. Like I said, I thought it was the direction the band needed to go. Surely a more seasoned fan would have enjoyed a classic, something from their first handful of albums. But this was the level of coming out swinging that I wanted. The band refused to take their foot off the gas and dropped into No Speak, No Slave. The driving chord progression of the chorus had me in fits. I grabbed the rail harder and swung my body. I banged my head to the drum beat. It was as if I was completely recharged from the day. I was no longer severely dehydrated, hungry, or tired. Rock and roll was giving me life, man. Once again, they refused to let up and rammed in another heavy hitter with my morning song. We were barely 20 minutes into the show and the band denied the crowd a breather. While Rich never offered so much as a smirk, his brother Chris lived up to every frontman charm. He bounced, danced, and flung his arms about. Sensing the crowd's raging attitude, the band finally worked through a string of mid-tempo songs to offer a reprieve. But when the band started Wiser Time, well, that's when everything changed. The slow Americana-infused rocker was the moment this show took its greatest leap. The music was transcendent. Chris stood at the microphone with his arms outstretched while he sang. On a good day, it's not every day. We can part the sea. And on a bad day, it's not every day. Glory beyond our reach. My soul was full. With every additional note, the band poured more into me. The music was unencumbered in its reach. It overwhelmed me. I closed my eyes and let it pass through me. It didn't matter where I was in the crowd. I'd forgotten all about Heather, Caitlin, and Joel. It was only the music and me. As the band finished the song, I opened my eyes to cheer. My cheeks hurt from the permagrant I'd been wearing. This was the feeling that I chase at every single show. It's why I go to 100 concerts a year. It's why I pay the exorbitant fees. This is why I do it. I grabbed Joel by the shoulders and hugged him. Dude, this is the best night of my life. I screamed at him. Two songs later, the band gave a glimpse of their new jam band adjacent role. With the opening of Thorn in My Pride, I was expecting just another classic Crow song. Except this one went deep. Chris dropped out as the chorus picked up, and Rich ripped into a solo. Luther watched from the other side of the stage. He smirked and yelled as Rich laid into his instrument. Rich closed his eyes and jerked his head with a string of rapid-fire notes. It was the most emotion I'd seen from him all night. The solo took the song to a heavy place. It was dripping with soul. Like a hippie on a tin strip, Chris danced center stage. His hair bounced and his feet never stopped moving. Occasionally, he bounced to the microphone to encourage the audience. Come on, little baby. They jammed the song for more than 15 minutes, including the Catfish Blues interpolation as the outro. The band closed the set with the expected remedy. It was a final heavy hitter to drive the nail in the show. It was the remedy to everything the Jackson show was not. It may not have even been as simple as being front row, but that night changed everything. When the band exited the stage and the crowd dispersed enough for us to leave the rail, I looked at Joel with the biggest smile on my face. 
That's the best show I've ever seen, man. Heather and Caitlin bid us farewell. We shared sweaty hugs and walked our separate ways. In retrospect, I realized what a fool I'd been for not asking for a contact. We clearly had a vibe going, and I completely squandered it. That's just what live music does to me, man. When I get heady, the other heads shut up. But my foolishness didn't end there. Joel and I ran back to our car to start the voyage home. It was sometime around midnight before we got back on the road. We had a three-hour drive back to Starkville, Mississippi, where Joel was attending university. We cruised backwood highways as we drove through the night. The high of the show waned and tiredness took hold. We did our best to rehydrate and eat, which turned into more exhaustion. We staggered into town sometime around 3 a.m. and I immediately plopped onto his couch. At 5, I was awoken by the screams of my alarm clock. Throw on some deodorant and fresh undies, it was time to hit the road again. I had another three-hour drive ahead of me because, as a reminder, it was now Monday morning and I had class. Well, not so much class, I had finals. Biology final at 8 a.m. sharp. Driving through the early morning backwood Mississippi roads is one of the finer things the state has going for it. It was a beautiful way to reflect on the weekend, watching the sun rise above the trees, not another soul in sight. I pushed back the thoughts of the exam and tried to focus on the weekend. I'd just seen one of the best shows of my life, and I wasn't going to let finals get in the way of that. Except I hadn't studied. Like at all. As a young rapscallion, I procrastinated. I said I'd study during the weekend, but live music called, and I hadn't cracked a book in days. I rolled into the parking lot and ran into a dead quiet classroom to find my classmates buried in books and anxiously flipping through notes. Turning to me in an Adderall haze was my friend Becca. She freaked out on me. Are you ready for this? I don't think I've studied enough. She said. I smirked. Less than 12 hours ago I was in Memphis at a concert. I don't think I'm ready either. The test was handed out. I filled in the blanks. It was done in an hour's time. I felt confident. I felt like Superman. I could do it all. See live music in another state and pass a college final. Except I failed. Really bad. Like 43. Kind of bad. But oh well. I saw one of the best shows of my life and that makes it all better. More than a decade removed from that exhausting and wonderful day. I'm not a Black Crows fan anymore. To say I'm not a fan anymore isn't even underselling it. I actively dislike the band. Leaving the show that night, I was riding a high, unlike anything I'd ever experienced. In past episode, I've belabored people who walk away from the show saying best concert ever. I won't rehash my argument, but I will admit that I was a fool hypocrite. For weeks following the show, it was all I could think about. There wasn't anything else in the way to move on to. It latched onto my brain and I scrolled through photos over and over again. With every concert plan I made, the back of my mind was always, yeah, but it won't be as good as the crows, man. It literally took a beetle to dethrone it as my top show. But even after seeing Paul McCartney, that Black Crow show held a special spot in my heart. I couldn't get away from the feelings it evoked. Even to this day, the nostalgia surrounding those emotions hasn't diminished. I still get that sentiment. Perhaps it was the accumulation of the day's events, the cute girls, the stacked lineup, and the surrounding story. Who knows? But despite how I feel towards that particular show, my opinion of the Crows couldn't be further from that. It's been years since I've willingly listened to the group, despite the show's favorite place in my heart. I've passed on multiple opportunities to see them again. That show can never be topped and I'd never have another experience like that. So why try? A few years later, Black Crow's drummer Steve Gorman released his autobiography which contained brutal stories of cruelty by the Robinson brothers. The heartlessness and infighting weren't new to the band's story, 
but the first-hand accounts left me disgusted. My relationship with the Black Crows has been nothing short of a roller coaster. But the one thing I know is that show in May of 2008 will always hold a special place in my heart. Nothing can change that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jam Journals and reliving one of my favorite concert memories. Have you seen the artist before? How was your experience? Similar? Better? Worse? Let us know on social media, at Yesterday's Concert. We're on all the channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Give us a shout or shoot us an email at info at Until next time, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and check us out at yesterdaysconcert.com. And don't forget, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.